Hey fam, welcome to the You Can Sit With Us podcast. My name is Lexi B and I am your host and executive producer. Let's get into it. Bronwyn is a keynote speaker, YouTuber, podcast host of 20 Minutes with Bronwyn, authentic communication coach, and writer of the only emails anyone actually looks forward to opening. She has been called emotionally contagious, an unbashed truth teller, and a walking, talking, positive playlist. Bronwyn is on a mission to help people become their most powerful selves and speak from that place of power. She has prepared clients for television appearances on American Idol, Real Time with Bill Maher, and The Oprah Show, and has midwifed over 120 TEDx, TED Global, and TED Talks. Bronwyn also delights in helping teams realize their full potential as communicators through her workshops and keynotes, working with global brands like Oracle Advertising, Microsoft, Stanford University, and Zoom, just to name a few. Welcome, Bronwyn. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I am great. I have to tell you that I am completely fangirling right now. I have been following you for years since I was actually at Stanford. Um, when I was at Stanford, Stop it! yes, when I was at Stanford, I was in a communication class um, taught by a TA who worked for Jennifer Aker. Yes, and yeah, and um, we were doing something, and they kept on mentioning the power of communication, and they were like, here's a person that's a great example of that. So I've actually known you semi-stalker-ish for a long time. Okay, yeah. so that is, first of all, that is literally rearranging my brain right now. So <laughs> I know. Thank you. But the other weird thing is, Lexi, I've been stalking you on Instagram for the past, like, <laughs> two years, because I think we're so fun and real. Like I, I'm so drawn to how authentic and at ease you are in your voice. Thank you. Thank you. It, it sometimes gets me in trouble, but at this point in my life, I'm just like, I'm regardless if I tell the truth or not, I'm not going to get the outcome that I want. So we're just going to do it. We're just, we're just going to do it. (laughs) That's what this moment in history is calling for, Lexi. So you're right on, you're right on task. Amen. Amen. So You Can Sit With Us is this podcast that we talk about tables and how people are allowed to come to my table. I think that a lot of times information is gaslit. So before we get started, what are you drinking today at the table? If you could have anything, what are you drinking? You mean like literally what am I drinking? Yes. Okay. Well, this is going to sound so pretentious, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. Yes, please do. Matcha that is doctored up with like adaptogens and spirulina. It's Chroma oh, wow. from, you know, Lisa Odenweller's company, Chroma. So I'm a huge fan. So I'm drinking my matcha. It gives you that like 
that like slow jam caffeine yes. release. Yes. That's yes. what I'm about this morning. So I'm going to need you to send me that brand. Matcha is one of my favorite things in the world. This and is I am ceremonial grade, Lexi. It's going to take oh, yes. your breath away. Yeah. Okay. So it's one of those where I'm going to buy it and then that's all that I'm going to buy. It's kind of like Lemire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like, wait, say that again. It's kind of like what? It's kind of like Lemire skincare products that I avoided buying for years because I was like, there is no way that I'm going to spend this much money on skincare. And then I got a sample. And, and now, now it's, over. it's over. I know. But you know what? These beautiful oh skin suits of ours deserve <laughs> high quality ingredients. So I bow yeah. to your Lemire purchases. I will tell my bank account that. So the next question I have for you is where are your people from? This is actually the, my favorite question that I ask folks. because I think that understanding where people are from, where yeah. their people are from, gives you an understanding, a deep understanding of the angle in which they come from. So where are your people from? Wow. I have never, ever, ever, ever been asked this question. And it's such an important question. I think it's brilliant yeah. that you ask people this. On my mother's side. Yeah. I am from a long line of um, mostly Irish, a little bit German. Okay. My grandmother was the first war bride to be naturalized in Los Angeles in World War II. Wow. She came over in the middle of the war. Um, and on my mother's side, I come from a long line of women who were frustrated by the very average men that they were attached to in their lives. And they were mm. constantly angry and trying to get free and just make it a hash of it. Mm. And mm. so on that line of myself, I come from a long line of very articulate, spellbinding storytellers who were deeply frustrated by circumstance. So that's on my mother's side. Okay. On my father's side, our family is originally Norwegian and English, but they came to the United States in the like early 1800s, late say, late 1700s. Wow. And some of the word is on the street, unfortunately, that the great, great, great grandparent was loyal to King George. Not awesome, but whatever. Anyway, okay. so they've been around a long time. My grandfather was um, one of the NASA engineers that put helped put a man on the moon. And wow. so my, my father's lineage is very much these really bold, sometimes kind of not the most pleasant people, but very bold um, makers, doers, thinkers who were scrappy mm. as hell. Mm. And so that's where I come from. I don't know if you were looking for a psychographic, psychological profile. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole spinoff of another podcast. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> right? That's fantastic. And I think that actually speaks a lot to who you are as a professional with both of these sides, as this public speaker, this person who teaches people how to be public speakers, how to communicate, how to prepare to be on stages and basically entertain and dazzle a crowd while also giving content that is factual. Entertainment are important. Well, these yes. are important. So tell me about your current business. What do you yeah. do and why do you do it? Well, that's a great question. I really, I do two things. Mm. I work with individuals and teams, but the, the work is the same. Yeah. The first piece of what I do is help people to realize and start moving from the knowledge that audiences don't want to listen to whatever it is you have to say. <laughs> Amen. Say it again. Amen. They don't. They don't. 
They would rather check email or Instagram or ESPN.com. They are not interested most of the time. Right. Unless you are a celebrity, in which case they start interested, but then you can lose them, which happens all the time. Some of the most famous people are the worst public speakers. They don't have a script. They're hosed. Yeah. So the first thing I do is really teach people to create messaging from the absolute crystal clarity knowledge that we are not communicating to people with their bright, bushy, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed waiting, dripping on our every word. We're communicating to a group of addicts. Yeah. We are like, give me that dopamine hit of Twitter, email, anything. They cannot sit still. They cannot focus. So when you acknowledge that, and that's based on all the research shows that the average attention span is somewhere around 45 seconds. So when you acknowledge that and you sit with that and then you create from that, Mm -hmm. what you get is content that by its very nature is arresting, interesting, story-based, highly emotionally evocative, very careful about what are the absolutely necessary messages that are getting across and how do I make sure those get across versus the way you and I came up in business, which is like, let me unload my entire suitcase in front of this audience and expect them to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So that's first half of what I do. Let me check in with you. Okay. I love that. I love that. As you said that, I started thinking about when I'm in conference rooms, when I'm in the corporate world and I'm, you know, in a room with a lot of people, this is not a one-on-one. There are times, many times where I check out. I'm very much like, unless this actually influences my paycheck, unless it is my manager who is going to say something that I'm probably going to have to do, um, unless you say something so profound to me, like a mic drop moment, I call it the Toni Morrison moment where you say it and I'm like, oh, say it again. Write that quote down. Yes. Or um, unless you're entertaining, yeah, I'm not listening. That's right. So I get And when them. you think about, I, I read this just horrendous stat that came from the, the mothership. <laughs> Microsoft did a study and what they uncovered just by looking at Teams, I'm assuming they didn't look at Zoom, but yeah. Since the pandemic, the Mm. number of meetings we have have increased by 250%. And the the fact that we're all so shattered and burned out is not just like, oh, I have so much work to do. It's because we are meeting too often. And Mm. what's happening in those meetings is some real lackluster communication is happening in those meetings. So then we're getting even more irritated in those meetings. That's it. And, and, And more like screw this, quiet quit. You know what I mean? Like, of course. So the first thing that I do with people is really get them to acknowledge that and, and teach them how to communicate in such a way that you're not playing the attention span game because we've lost that game. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. no attention span left. But what there is, is this thing that Robert McKee calls the interest span. It's when we binge content. There is Mm. that part of the human brain that will still ride or die through an entire series or through a book or through a podcast. So when we move through our content, creating our content with that inclination towards accessing the interest span of the audience, then Mm. we become spellbinding. Mm. Right. And that's really where the work begins. A lot of people think that what communication coaches do is we get ready your ums and uhs. We do eventually. We tell you what to do with your hands while you're in front of the room. 
That's yes. part of it. But yes. that's like 5%, 95% is getting outside of ourselves and speaking in a way that people will be hanging on our every word. So the other part of that though, is I really firmly believe, and not every coach does, so I'm, I'm not for everybody, Lexi. Okay. Okay. I believe that we, audiences don't want polished spokespeople. They want mm. flesh and blood, three-dimensional human beings that are truly authentic, meaning that the way they are in front of the room is the same way, more or less, that they are with the people they love most, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen mm-hmm. that, Lexi, when somebody has oh, like yeah. a personality transplant, it's like they're so engaging and cool one-on-one, they get in front of the room and it's like grown-up pants, serious yes. face. Yes. So that's mm-hmm. the other part of what I do is peeling away the layers of culture that have trained us out of our wild selves, right? Our, our vivid, you know, the part of ourselves that knows how to tell a story, that mm. knows how to reach people where they are. Or if that part is so dead, that's when we learn to learn how to tell a better story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Learn how to put other people first when we communicate. So I'm going to stop talking for a second here. I love that. So I guess my question to you, let's just go ahead and get into it, is how do people do that? If they do not have a coach, if they cannot afford a coach, if they are not even on this coaching journey of getting ready for a TED Talk, I believe that what you do also sits in the world of just the corporate world of this is how you get this VP on board with your plan. This is how you get more money from the CFO. This is how you get your boss to give you a promotion. This is how you do it. What what should we be telling people to start unlearning, I guess, certain things in their lives that make them dead when they're talking to people yes. and also relearning how to bring that out? How do we how do we teach them how to dance? Um, it's such work. a great question. And here's yeah. what I would say. We start by not boiling the ocean, right? We've, if we oh, got 250% more meetings than we had three years ago, we're not trying to be perfect communicators in any in every single meeting we're in because we'll- right kind of lose our minds, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's kind of like, you know, what I recommend is that people look at their calendars for the week, for the month, whatever, pick a time zone, a timeline, and pick out the meetings that will move your career up and to the right. The meetings that have the mm. greatest potential to change the trajectory of your career. So for example, it maybe it's a meeting with your SVP. Maybe it's that you're going to be uh, going after a piece of new business with a team. Pick those moments that are the moments that make us, right? And Mm. we like, well, it's just a sales meeting. No, 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 no. You know which meetings matter. You know. And if you don't know which meetings matter, that is a, that's a sign that you need mentorship. You need mm. someone who knows more than you, who can look at your, lo- at your, at your calendar and be like, okay, these are the meetings that are going to move the needle for you. Then once you figure out these are the meetings that matter most, next I advise that people really check in and ask themselves, what story am I telling myself about this meeting? And is it helpful? Right. What story am I telling myself about? Go deeper in that. What do you mean by that? So let's say, for example, um, you you know you've got a meeting where you're part of a um, you're part of an ensemble cast that's about to go after some new business. Okay. Or you're part of an ensemble cast that's about to explain during a quarterly business review the value that you've been delivering over the quarter. Okay. The peaks and valleys, the obstacles, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. When typically 
when people are on the sort of student side of communicating versus mastery side, they will begin to think about or work on that content for that meeting from a place of fear. Ah, uh, okay. Because they're, or, they're scared, they're anxious, nervous type thing. Or they'll come at it from a place of avoidance and FFS. Do you know what FF, I mean, am I allowed to say swear words or no? <laughs> it's life. Go forth, be great. Okay. Bless you. FFS is like, <laughs> for, it's for fuck's sakes. Got right? It. You know those got meetings it. that you know are important, but you're like, oh, for fuck's sakes, do I got to yep. do this? Yep. Th- yep. That's, just an, that's just fear dressed up. That's still fear because it's avoidance, right? But if instead we can look at those thoughts and say, huh, this doesn't seem like the most constructive place to come from. What's mm. a different thought I can have in this moment as I'm thinking about showing up here? And you start to, I believe in writing these things down longhand because you get to evaluate, you get to actually see in black and white what your mind is cooking up. Because mm. the way I like to think about it, the thoughts, you know how you go see a movie yeah. and you know somebody's about to get killed because the music changes? Yes. Thoughts. Or the or or the lighting changes. Yes. Yeah. It's just You're like, like, don't go in the basement. <laughs> yes. Stop it. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> that, the music, the lighting concept, that's analogous to the thoughts we think. Mm. So if I'm planning a meeting and the thoughts that I'm thinking are creating an atmosphere of dread, the thoughts I'm thinking are creating an atmosphere of like, why bother? The thoughts I'm thinking are creating an atmosphere of I'm less than or I'm greater than, neither is ideal, Mm. that is going to color the way you prepare for that meeting, the way you show up to that meeting. So for me, step one is really getting clear about what music and lighting concept am I setting this meeting up with? And is there a slightly better version? And I'm not one of those people that believes, you know, let's say, you know, you're going in to face the firing squad. Like, you know, you're about to, you're going to catch hell in this meeting. You can't just like say to yourself, it's going to be great. That's not realistic. But you can say to yourself, huh, what if this meeting becomes the turning point in my relationship with these people where I learn how to ask for help? Mm. where I learn how to stand strong and take responsibility for the pieces that I own of this mm-hmm. and build trust because people trust people that own their part of a mess. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's an example of going from like, oh, God, it's the firing squad to, you know what, this is going to be a story I tell later about how I turned this situation around. Planning content, planning your remarks, building your slides, whatever the thing from that place is a totally different plane ticket. Yeah. Right? It also sounds like you're saying be intentional. Yes. Be intentional about owning the space, whether it's good or bad versus maybe some other meetings. um, It sounds like you don't have to be intentional. Maybe you just show up and you're half camera on and people are just asking you questions and you can be like, sounds great. Or I don't know. Versus the meetings where you really have to show up and show out. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. I think at some point, like I'm at the stage of my career where I don't, and I built a business that allows me to do this. I'm not saying everybody can do this. There's a ton of privilege woven in here, but I don't participate in meetings that require less than full presence. It's not an appropriate use of my time. So if I'm Mm. in a meeting, I am 
absolutely lit up from within present with all of my capacities online. And if for some reason I am not, that is a big red flag to me that I'm in the wrong place with the wrong people. So it could have just been an email. It could have been a text message. Like I'm a huge fan of Voxer where you just leave people messages. Right. Asynchronous for the win, in my opinion. Right. But not everybody's there in their career. And if you're not Mm. there in your career, I think in order to protect your peace, in order to protect your life force, you do have to phone in at least some of these goddamn meetings. There's too many of them. The number of times that I do walking meetings is a lot. It's a lot. Walking, um, walking actually probably brings out your best, Lexi. That's when I do. I so I actually how I do my calendar is that the ones that I have to show up and show out for, I am sitting there, video on. You know that I am here. A lot of my walking meetings are the ones that I want to be there to listen because what's happening will affect me, but I don't have to say much. That's right. You know, I might do a little like mmms or cough cough to confirm that I am alive still, but I'm really just there to listen and. and and watch the mastery of other people. And it, it, it does help me think on the walk. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest bummers about COVID is that somehow walking while meeting got this sort of negative connotation, like you're phoning, it like phoning it in. Yes. And it's actually not true. Like there was a great study at Stanford where they actually did an experiment to see what activity yields the highest quality and highest volume of ideas, of creative ideas. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even close. It was walking. Yeah. And yet we treat that as if, oh, you're half-assing if you're walking. The quality of listening that you are doing, Lexi, when your camera off walking is 10x what the quality is of people that are like half-assing it, sitting in their chairs with their thighs falling asleep because they've been in the chair all day. I agree. But the issue that I think what's happening post-COVID is that we have a lot of people who have not learned how to manage and lead without somebody being right in front of you. That's insane. So they equate the video on with the person being productive. Yeah. I equate productivity as the work getting done. Yeah. I I think that, and that's, and here's the thing. I think that's the cheap seats management style. Mm, tell me more. Tell me more. Cheap seats management style. Those were the same people. I can guarantee it, Lexi. Those are the same people that wanted butts and seats in the office before COVID. Oh, of course. Of course. Yes. yes. They are people that are coming from a place of fear. It's a one size fits all management strategy. Yep. If I was dealing with a leader like that, I would recommend and you know people can disagree with me everybody got to do what's best for them but i would take 15 minutes one on one with that leader and say look i want to do an experiment i mm. read this piece of research from stanford i read there's so much social science that shows that the way we're working is actually killing our productivity and creativity i would walk that leader through a couple bits of points of data and saying i want to do a month long experiment mm. where i solve for the highest possible quality presence, which may mean I'm camera off walking on mute. Yeah. If at the end of that month, you feel like I've been phoning it in and it hasn't been working, then we will absolutely reevaluate. But are you willing to let me do this experiment for a month? Yeah. If that leader says no, that's embarrassing. And somebody needs to have a conversation with somebody about the fact that that is not leadership, right? Right. Right. But most leaders can't argue with that. They can't say, no, I don't want you to do an experiment where you become more productive. Right? Yeah, that would, that'd be bad. Right? 
be like, that's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame. I love that. I love that. So my next question for you is why is this so important? Why is having phenomenal communication skills and how we define that, what we're talking about, is the entertainment piece, but also the content piece. What yeah. does that do for people? How does that propel people in the workplace? If it, it or maybe it doesn't propel people. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's the it's the absolute unfair advantage. If you're Ooh. a great communicator, you will outmaneuver everyone. <laughs> okay, Tell you know me what more. I mean. Oh yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. In, I've seen, seen it. it. Oh yeah. You oh, yeah. even have like a baseline of mediocrity from a skill standpoint. But if you're mm-hmm. a great communicator and you know how to froth up a team, you're going up into the right. Mm-hmm. I worked with years ago, I worked with this um, senior vice president, a very, very visible financial services company. And he was a spectacular uh, operator in his role. Like he was just very, very, very good at what he did. Mm. But he was not a very compelling communicator. And he called me because he was getting outmaneuvered by someone, someone who was less skilled, someone who was less pedigreed, didn't go to the right colleges, Ah. someone who seemed less refined. Okay. But that other guy, he would walk in the room and you felt it. He just dazzled. He was just... So he, you know, the way I like the metaphor I like to use, Lexi, is Wi-Fi. It's spiritual mm. Wi-Fi. It's energetic Wi-Fi. Some people walk into the room, and you are one of those people, and boom! It's like somebody with five bars just walked in, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to get on that Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And other people walk in at one bar. Am I saying that five bars means extroversion? Absolutely not. You yeah. can feel someone who's fully present, who's warm, who's engaged, and who's quiet. Mm. Right. Greta Thunberg, look at her. She's five bars and she is a very direct, dry communicator and she is changing the conversation around climate. And she's a child, right? Oh yeah, a little freedom fighter who's killing it. Killing it. Yes. And there's kids like that everywhere that are walking around with five bars because five bars, there's room for neurodiversity, right? You can have someone who's, you know, on the spectrum at five bars, someone who's, I mean, it doesn't mean extroverted white people. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Five yeah. bars can mean everyone if mm-hmm. they're operating from that place of authenticity. So to me, what communicating well does is it gives you an absolutely unfair advantage over everyone else. So this client of yours who came to you and, mm-hmm. and said like, yo, I need help because yeah. this person is killing it and yeah. they're mediocre and I can do better. Mm-hmm. Did someone recommend that they needed a communication coach or did they have enough discernment to say, I think this is what it is. Let me go find someone. Because if he did that himself, that's actually very skilled. Yeah, I think um, it was a confluence of, of happy accidents as Bob Ross would <laughs> okay. say. Okay. I was okay. brought in to help the entire team with okay. an analyst day situation mm. and everybody was prepping for analyst day. And yeah. as I was sitting down with him to walk him through my framework for planning content, which is not let's open an old slide deck and save as, or let's, right. let's beat, let's beat this audience about the ears with our PowerPoint. It was a very different approach, right? Cause I, you know, we're, we're edutaining here yeah. and halfway through it, he was like, this is my problem. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, since you said it, yeah. this is it. <laughs> I was like, can I show you some of my usual slides? And he showed me and my eyes started bleeding. And I was like, well, no wonder. <laughs> and show me sounds- the other guys' slides. And they were way better. But it sounds like he was open to feedback. And so I think that we need to discuss that too is yeah. in order to be a great communicator, you have to be open to the feedback whether it's from the manager, from people like you, I would love to hear with your experience, how is it with people being open to that candid feedback of how to make them better? You know, I don't um, ever work with people that aren't open to feedback. It's, you know, too expensive. Like people that hire me are like, I better be open to this feedback. But (laughs) um, I also occupy a really uh, unusual position. Um, It's almost as though, remember in the ancient, you know, kings and queens, right? There was the court jester. Yes. And the court jester could get away with saying shit that nobody else could say. Yes. Because the court jester was in the system, but not of the system. Yes. I love that. And so that's, that's who I am. I can walk into a CEO or an SVP or anybody and say, look, before we work together, I need you to know my point of view. I looked at all the recordings of you. I've, I've, I've consumed every piece of content I can find that you've delivered. And this is what I see. Mm. And if you're not okay with that, let's call it right now and let's not waste a second. Okay. 99.999% of the time they're like, oh God, finally, somebody's telling me that I'm naked. It's like the emperor's new clothes, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if you're on the team, you can't be that brutally honest because it's a career, it's a CLM, a career limiting move. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm lucky in that way that I don't want anybody to be surprised about my point of view and what I'm solving for as a coach. And because I come in with that sensibility and I've got, I all, everybody already knows where I stand. I don't have to waste time, tender footing, worrying. I'm like, here's what I think you're great at. Here's what I think you need help with. And let's get busy. Mm. So it's, really efficient that way. But if you're, you know, if you're nervous, let's talk about how scary it is to receive feedback because I get feedback too. I mean, there's, I have a podcast myself, 20 minutes. And, um, my producer will sometimes give me feedback and it's excruciating, but we need it to grow. And so what I, if there's a part of us that just, we find feedback too excruciating, Mm. It means that we are telling ourselves a story that is not serving. So for example, Mm. if I'm unable to receive feedback because I'm just too scared, Uh it may be that that we are telling ourselves a story that we are really just imposters. We don't really belong here. And if you have to get the feedbacks, everybody will find out that you don't belong. Okay. That's not a helpful story to tell yourself. (laughs) It is not. It is not. No. Mm -mm. Right? Mm -mm. So then the alternative is what if... What if I reached into all the different people that live inside of us? Because we all contain multitudes as well. Yes. Said. What yes. if I reach in and when I'm getting feedback, I pull up the part of myself that is strong, resilient, and curious, mm. and I let her get the feedback. So one of my favorite quotes uh, is from Joel Peterson, who was chairman of JetBlue and he taught at Stanford yeah. for years. His line is, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Mm. So when I've got to get feedback and it's excruciating, I call up the stronger part of myself 
the grown the grown woman part of myself. Yep. And I pump that thought through my mind. Bre- feedback is the breakfast of champions. And when I get the feedback, I say, please say more. Please say more. Tell me more to make sure I've extracted every piece of information from that feedback. And then I can make decisions about it. And then later on, when I'm sitting on my couch, I can have a good cry if that's what I need to have. Yeah. I can have a moment of cringe, but I can process those painful feelings in a place that's safe, that won't be career limiting. Mm. What I always tell people is that feedback is a gift and everyone has a right to give you a free gift it does not mean that you have to utilize the gift. And I think that we have to be very clear on people are going to give you feedback throughout your whole life, right? You get to actively decide if you're going to use it Um, because I've definitely received some feedback that I completely disagree with. And I just, I just smile and and let it sit in a wrapped gift in the corner because I'm like, okay, well, that's your opinion, but that's not going to do that. That is so beautiful. And I want to ask you, mm-hmm. and I'll share mine too, what are your criteria for discerning what feedback is worth opening the package and what feedback needs to be regifted? <laughs> That's a great question. So one, if you are giving me feedback, so let's say that you yourself are giving me feedback. If you're giving me feedback about public speaking, how I speak, communication, I am going to listen because that is your subject matter area of expertise. Yeah. That is a specialization that in my opinion, I think that you are great at. And so I'm like, well, Brown one said like twerk two steps to the left and blink twice. I guess that's what we're going to do next speaking engagement. Right now there's other parts of you that I don't know. So if I know that you are a horrible chef and you're giving me feedback about my cooking, that may not be something that I'm going to take. So I always, people are complex. Like you said, we have different people inside of us. And I love that when people are giving me feedback, it has to come from the place that I know you're good at, That's right. that you are better than me at, or you are at least the same as me. So then therefore I can respect the feedback. And even if it's hurtful, I am a very sensitive Capricorn. And even if that night I go and I cry in the corner, I can yeah. process and the next day say, yeah, but that was valid. Because I want to be better. So I, that's how I look at it is I'm a selfish feedbacker. You yes. giving me feedback helps me. Yeah. So it's it's not about uplifting you. It's about, okay, make me better because I want to be better. But what about you? I love that. I think that yeah. is such a perfect, perfect metaphor. Yeah. And I just want to yes and it with, you know, if we're getting feedback or critique from people that are not in the arena, giving it their all. It's like Brene Brown says, like, yes, I only take feedback from people that are out there doing the, sh- the stuff, the hard stuff. The hard if stuff. Yeah. If you're in the cheap seats giving me feedback, I'm not going to unwrap that gift. Like, no. it's because usually it's motivated by something other than a deep desire to help. It's usually motivated by, let me take this bitch down a peg. See, look, my grandmother from the South used to say jealousy is the root of all evil. So that's right. That's exactly, exactly right. I mean, right. I exactly mean right. yeah, yeah. Um, I will also accept feedback um, from people that I think is very low hanging fruit, because I think that in order for me to work with you, you giving me feedback on how you want to be treated, you coming to me and saying like, hey, Lex, I didn't like how that email came across or how that communication came across. I look at that as low hanging fruit. I know that in my head, I did 
there was no animosity in that. But if me changing my behavior a little bit, which takes absolutely no effort on my end to make you more comfortable to get this work done. And so all of us can get paid. Please, sis, I will change immediately. (laughs) So it's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Beautiful. What I love about that example is you didn't make the other person wrong. No. For reading something into your email that wasn't there. You're not shaming them. You're just saying, God, this would be a really inexpensive way for me to make someone feel at ease, which I think is so beautiful. Zero dollars. Zero ninety nine. I'm like, that's fine. Cool. Zero zero ninety nine. I'm in it to win it. I do not care. Yeah. That is so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot of that feedback a lot in my career, which I'm actually very proud of. Um, because it's made me it's required me to basically be a chameleon and learn very quickly, treat you how you want to be treated. And if I can learn that quickly, then I think that we can work together much faster and much better together. That's right. You know, it's so funny the way you said chameleon. um, I sometimes think about, and this is not, I'm not trying to proselytize. I'm just speaking about a a communicator. St. Paul, right, who's the one that got struck off his horse by the, you know, blinded by the light Mm -hmm. and went from persecuting Christians in the ancient world to becoming like head Christian Yeah. Running around, you know, converting people. Mm -hmm. And one of the phrases that he says is you have to become all things to all people. Mm. And that phrase gets used as if, well, you can't be all things to all people, but that's a misuse of what that phrase meant. What St. Paul was saying in the ancient world was if you want people to go along with you, to change their minds, you have to meet them where they they are. are. And that piece of um, advice resonates across the age. I mean, my God, you know, Christianity started off as this like weird cult and now it's kind of, you know, the biggest thing ever. It's the dominant dominant, thing. So um, I think that there's so much truth to what you're saying is like, we all speak a slightly different language and we can become more fluent in each other's language in really easy ways, which is what you're talking about. With no effort from the other person. No. No. Yeah. I love that. My last question for you is because I want to shout out to the theater girls, the theater gals. (gasps) If you go on your Instagram, rumors in these streets is that you sing and you are in a cover band. Why? And I am wondering if that started when you were very, very little, like mm. little brown one hanging out, you know, at the house. Mm. And how has that directly impacted your work today? Oh my God, Lexi. Yeah. Can we talk about how skilled you are as an interviewer? <laughs> I, I saw am, it last night. I was like, oh, we are going to touch on this. I see I this. Am I see this. impressed, yes. my Thank friend. You. I am impressed. Thank you. I love that you are talking about singing. And yes, I am a singer and mm-hmm. I've got a great big voice. It's not, mm-hmm. I am not a theater girl in the sense that I could never, ever get parts in theater roles because those are for sopranos and there <laughs> is not a soprano. I am a deep, bluesy, growly gigantic voice. Yes. The weird thing about that is that growing up as a little girl, I was very, I was afraid of everything. Mm. I was very lonely, very, um, 
I spent way too much time alone as a young child. It was like classic Gen X story of latchkey kid. Yeah. I really struggled with loneliness. It's like the core wound of my life is that Mm. isolation and loneliness. And so when I got into the school world and the little girls and all the things, um, I was like, let me just shape shift and whoever is around will let yeah. me play with them. Yeah. And so my voice was very tentative. And I remember I was in the church choir and then eventually I tried out to be in a more, you know, fancier choir. Yeah. And they, I will never forget the choir director said, we can't take you. Your voice is, is too weak. And I was so shattered and because I was only singing like a little girl. That's all I thought was possible. <laughs> and then, so my whole life, all my teens, I was like, God, I have it's. I, I wish I could sing, but I just have this really weak voice. And then one day, I was singing in the shower, and I was like, I can sing Pat Benatar like Pat Benatar does. See, see. <laughs> and then my uncles were playing guitar at Thanksgiving, and I decided to sing with them. Mm. And they were like, What the hell? <laughs> Where did this what come from? <laughs> And so from that point on, it was like, it reminded me of the elephant, you know, yeah. as a baby, they tether it to a pole and it just walks around the pole. But then the elephant gets so big and still thinks it's tethered to the pole. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. all it would have to do is rip its trunk up and the whole freaking thing would fall <laughs> apart. So that was me and my voice is I was trying so hard to be somebody else that I never yeah. cultivated it. And it turned out all along, I had this enormous throaty, bluesy voice that just wanted a party. Mm-hmm. And so the way that informed my work today is the, one of the main lessons of my time in this skin suit, in this incarnation mm-hmm. is that the more we work to figure out what that authentic self mm. is, yes. what that authentic voice sounds like, yes. the better equipped we are to speak when it requires speaking, to speak mm. truth to power, to share our vision with the world. And also it allows us to shape shift and meet people where they are because we know who we are. We're mm-hmm. not getting lost in someone else's nightmare. We're able to say, you know what? I have a huge voice, but right now this group, I'm going to come in at a whisper and meet them where they're at. Right. That is not abandoning myself. That is meet people where, meeting people where they are. But if I haven't done the work to figure out who is this, who am I? What colors am I painting with, with this voice? Mm-hmm. Then I can't do that in any, with any integrity. I'm just like a leaf being blown around by a leaf blower. Yeah. So to me, the weird lesson of my lifetime has been the more authentic and the more confident I become in my own authentic self, the easier it is for me to meet people where they are at and help them become more authentic so that everybody gets to be more authentic. That is just a word. That is a sermon and a word. I support all of that. I support all of it. And let the church say amen. That's all I have to say. Let it say amen. I mean, part of why I've been obsessed with you and quiet stalking you since you met at TWA is I, I, it was like game recognizing game. Oh, 100%. 100%. Look, 100%. Okay. A player knows the play. Okay. <laughs> I saw it. I knew it. A player knows When I saw you in Marin, I was like, I'm not leaving this event. <laughs> a player knows the play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So Broadwood, as we wrap this up, how can we support you? What's going on in the next six months to a year with you? What can we follow? What should we look out for? Oh my goodness. Okay. Two things. One, my podcast. Yes. Bronwyn. It is like, it's like my little um, creative offering twice a month. Sometimes it's Mm. just me teaching and preaching. And sometimes it's me interviewing fascinating, amazing people. That's one thing. It's free. Go get it. Yeah. It, it will just lighten up your your life. The other thing is if you sign up for my newsletter, every mm-hmm. Monday morning, you get a communication tip to set you up for the week. Oh, I love that. Especially for people who may not have the financial privilege right now to actually hire you. Yes. Um, so yes, I love that. Okay. Bronwyncommunications.com okay. forward slash subscribe. Okay. And that's the way to keep in touch with me. I read every single message I get. Mm -hmm. Instagram and LinkedIn, I have such a complicated relationship with social media. (laughs) I just don't know how I feel about any of it anymore. But I will tell you, my podcast is always on and popping and my newsletter is always on and popping. Okay. Okay. Well, folks, you have heard it. Bronwyn, thank you so much for thank coming you, to the table today. Thank and you for making this podcast and for creating a table big enough that everybody is welcome. It is the way you're going to change the world, my friends. Oh, so my gosh. Thank you for doing your thing. Thank you. I definitely needed that blessing as I embark on this new journey of crazy. I love it. I will promote yes. it like crazy, my friend. Awesome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for joining our table today. Remember to follow me on LinkedIn at LexiB and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the hot tea on updates, upcoming guests, and more. Stay honest, stay curious, and above all, stay authentic. Much love, fam. Much love.